Precision Grazing Podcasts. Meet the farmers and managers taking a pasture-first approach to their businesses, building productivity, profitability and resilience, whilst improving their environment and achieving a positive work-life balance. To learn more about how the Precision Grazing team can help your business, visit www.precisiongrazing.com and book your online appointment for a chat. Welcome back to Precision Grazing Meet the Farmer. This week I took a little road trip to Devon and Cornwall and met three inspiring farmers who have changed their farming fortunes by turning to a paddock grazing system with precision grazing help. It was really great to see these farmers. The sun was shining, the hills were rolling and uh, yeah, just great conversations. So our first conversation is with Chris Berry of Higher Thornton Farm near Exeter. And I saw and heard all about the positive changes he'd made to the farm for him, his business and his family. So let's go and find out more. So welcome. This week I am with Chris Berry. So welcome, Chris, to your lovely kitchen table um, at Higher Thornton Farm near Exeter. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <Yeah. laughs> Um, yeah, so this week I'm talking to Chris and uh, about his precision, precision grazing journey and, and with his suckler beef and um, sheep. So Chris, um, thank you for allowing me to come across today. It, down to beautiful Devon and the rolling hills, it's looking pretty good out there. Yeah, yeah, it's all nice and green now after the year we've had. It's yeah, all looking great. It's great to meet you. Yeah, so you had the dry summer as well. Yeah, we would class as one of the driest areas in Devon. Um, so yeah, it hits quite hard quite early. Um, yeah, yeah. A lot of the work that we've done with precision grazing is to be prepared for summer dry periods anyway. So um, yeah, we we kind of went into it with our eyes open and yeah, came out of it the other end feeling quite good actually. So. Yeah, well, from what we've already been around to see the sheep and the cattle and. Uh, I think I made comment that the grass, it looks like you've been out with, you know, tons of fertiliser yeah. and actually it's looking so good just from grazing management. And who would know? Yeah. Who would, it really, I mean, it's uh, the green, the grass is green and the um, plantain is literally wafting in the yeah. the slight breeze there is today. Um, so if we just go back, so like, yeah, so tell me about your farming journey how long have you been at um higher thornton farm mm-hmm. so i've been here all the 36 years of my life actually so born here yeah grew up here went to school in the area went to college in devon in the local area and then came back to work on the family farm really so i'm in partnership with my parents um probably been in partnership since i left college nearly 20 years ago now yeah. probably so <laughs> yeah no we've been yeah just gradually built up from them so it's been yeah traditional family farm um, where we actually farm here is a yeah three generation tenancy farm. So I'm the third generation now. Succeeded. Um, Mum and dad bought some ground next door to the farm and built a house there and moved out. But, um, and left me in charge pretty well. And um, yeah, with ill health and yeah bits and pieces, they were quite happy to step back quite early, which I'm forever grateful for. Really, and I think you you, you generally see it quite often. Really, you know, give a young lad a chance and they will mm. thrive on it. Really, so well, yeah, they've not really. Not really been against anything I've changed or anything I've done, really. No, um, excellent. You know, yeah, we, we would say we would be a traditional farm, you know, with beef and sheep, a bit of arable on the side to feed the beef and the sheep. Um, lambing early because we were afraid of that summer dry period to try and get rid of the lambs. So there's a lot of cake feeding and a lot of trough feeding in the mud in the winter. Um, and so, yeah, lambs have been crept through all the way through, which, which was great. You know, they finished, they finished early and you thought you were beating, you know, getting a good price for them and everything else. And 
yeah, looks looks right on paper. Um, but yeah, it was in quite quite intensive. And then the supper herb was yeah, sort of spring carving and autumn carving, thinking of making use of the balls and spreading out the work. But yeah, so we were busy all year round, feeding quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The straw and the barley were used and also brought in a lot of cake and a lot of fertilizer to yeah, yeah, create create the system a lot of us are quite familiar with. Really. Yeah, so a lot of inputs going into the system and a lot of hard work. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I think probably the the biggest thing for me was was the work challenge. I think yeah, with them, you know, mum and dad weren't the best labour input on the farm. I guess they were yeah, definitely ready to leave it to the young lad. Really, so it was pretty much my way of carving it. Did I want to do it the hard way or did I want to yeah find find easier solutions to the same situation? Really. So, so you came back from college. What what age were you? Sorry, when you took on the partnership. So I, I probably came straight out of college at sort of nineteen, um, and went into the farming partnership like oh. most young lads would have really. Yeah, and yeah, at that stage I was just working under dad really at that point, and just yeah doing what we'd always been done mm. on the farm. Um, and I guess yeah, gradually built up from that. I think I've always had that sort of thing in the back of my mind. All my education is one diploma at college, and what I've known on the farm here. I've never worked on another farm or anything like that. So. I've always kind of gone into every kind of situation knowing that I probably don't know that much about different farming systems and have, you know, a different idea of how people have done different things. So everything I've approached from that dad's always done, I've sort of questioned it and, yeah, sort of said, why do we do it this way, really, mm. rather than think, well, this is how you do it. And so I think I've taken that um, ability to realise I hadn't got the best kind of experience out there to sort of, yeah build on that and sort of ask the questions of myself and ask the questions of other people to sort of yeah, build a system going forward. Where do you think that like questioning came from? Were you like that as a child as well? Were you yeah, I don't know. I've always tried to work it back why, but I, I, yeah, I think I've just got a busy mind, I think, really. And it's just, it is just one of those things. I think I don't, I, yeah, I can't put, a, can't put my finger on it, really. I guess I know you, you probably have a few conversations with, you know, my peers at college and young farmers and sort of realise that, maybe what you've always done might not be the best solution to a situation and then you start yeah it just starts whirling around your mind and especially when you're out there working all hours and you know some quite hard work and you start looking at the finances of the farm and think well you know there's there's definitely people out there doing a better job than we are when it comes to finances and not working quite so hard as I am so I guess yeah you you soon think why am I doing it like this Mm -hmm. really and then yeah you then source questions or source the answers to your questions. Really. Yeah. So you were saying earlier that you had sort of like the, quite the commercial um, <clears throat> herd and flock. What what breeds were you using then? So for the early lambing, we sort of incorporated the Dorset mules and the Suffolk mules. Then we had the March lambing flock that bred mules onto Suffolk rams and Dorset rams to breed our replacement. So breeding was always an important part. Um, so we were always trying to breed our own ewes, breed our own rams. And yeah, the, the cows were... Continental crosses with South Devon, so they're quite big cows. Um, we were still outdoor carving, we were still keeping them out all year round anyway. Um, but they were, you know, creep fed and then finished at sort of 24 to 30 months old. So they were pretty big, heavy beasts and quite a lot on farm. Yeah, looking back, quite inefficient, really. Um, yeah, quite heavy. Heavy carcass weights, and that was sort of the main focus of the traditional farm, really. You wanted that 22 kilo lamb and you wanted that sort of 400 kilo plus beef bullock really and that was that was your targets really if you if you were much shorter than that then you felt like you hadn't done your job properly so um, that was probably yeah probably our main aims really so you know the cattle were kept longer to get them heavy and mm. you know they would have spent a long time of their life not putting on decent kilos but building the frame to get the big heavy beast to get to it yeah <clears throat> so what age were you when you started to think oh yeah what age were the changes yeah I suppose a gradual process through my 20s 
Um, I've done a lot with young farmers and sort of experienced a bit more. Done scholarships in New Zealand, um, studying parasite control and sheep. Okay. And that gave me the option to spend six weeks or so on a few different farms in New Zealand. So it gave me a taste of, yeah, that sort of farming system, I suppose. So that was probably looking back a little bit of a light bulb moment. I didn't come back and think, you know, I've got to change everything all of a sudden, but it must have absorbed into me, I think, that sort of forage-based sort of simple system. You know, when you see them running 4,000 sheep with one person and you're there struggling with 400 in case, you know, with with the same situation, you think, well, yeah, there's there's a slight difference here, really. So, yeah, I guess guess it twigged a little bit along those ways. And so I think, yeah, 2015-ish, so, yeah, I was in my later 20s. I introduced a few more um, different breeding or breeds then. So we went down the New Zealand Highlander route for the sheep. So I was thinking I'd go a forage-based sheep. I wanted one that would outdoor lamb. Um, so I thought, yeah, go for some New Zealand genetics that, you know, a place where they do outdoor lambing very well, really. Um, yeah. My opinion from New Zealand was they'd taken our decent UK breeds and made them better. And we've incorporated a load of continental breeds and sort of, yeah, and in, in many ways made them worse and made them hard work for ourselves, really. So um, getting back to a, a ewe that looks after itself and equally the same going with the cattle, you know, we went more Angus Angus bred stuff, so slightly lighter cows, mm. easier calving, you know, they're all polled. Um, so they suited what system I had in my mind I wanted to get to. Excellent. No, it's like, it is, and it's sometimes you need to go off farm and see, and even to that in other countries, isn't it, just to see those changes and, you know, bringing that back with you is, and being able to implement those changes as well. Like, was your dad quite open mm. to that? Mum and dad? In the early days, I think if I came straight home and said, this is what I'm going to do, it'd come as a bit of a shock. But um, I think he was at a stage happy for me to have a crack. So um, I'd done it very gradually. You know, I started with one ram and bred up some ewes and sort of done them on a small system. So lambs, you know, the progeny of that ram outdoors and sort of slowly did it. Um, and he he didn't have to go around chasing them. So he didn't have those kind of <laughs> yeah. the hard hard bits that might have said, no, this is terrible. We're not doing this ever again. So it was, it was for me to sort of fail, if you know what I mean. And knowing that, he, well, he didn't want me to fail, but he probably didn't think it was the system for this farm necessarily. It gives you a fair incentive to make sure it works well. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, I, think I, I was out to prove it to, uh, I suppose, family in some ways. Not that they ever put too much pressure on it, but also out to prove it to myself that it would work. And, you know, if you put that mindset to most things, it will work, really. So, yeah, um, yeah. No. Yeah, I, can't, yeah I, can, I guess I went into it with the right frame of mind. But I didn't jump into it all at once and, you know, went crazy and had some massive catastrophes or anything. So it was a sort of gradual change and... I don't know, yeah, you, you find more questions to the change and how to run a system like that and you go, you look for the answers from the people that are doing it well, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and you mentioned, like, the mindset. Have you have you had, a like, a good mindset, do you think, or was there an element of that has changed and, you know, did that change from those conversations at Young Farmers or those conversations in New Zealand? You know, is that, yeah... Is that something that's yeah, changed I've, over the years for yeah, you? Yeah, my opinion of everything's changed a lot over the years, which is good that the fact my opinion can change, I guess. But I definitely would have, you know, gone into Young Farmers or any of those situations thinking the way I did it was the right way to do it because that's what we knew. And, you know, from everyone's situation, if it, if you feel like it's working on farm, you sort of think that's that's the way, isn't it? So, then, yeah. you know, until you start sort of delving into, you know, get into, you know, get the, the finances of the farm and, you know, how you're working compared to some other people who are working, yeah, you, you don't really appreciate that there is options and different opinions and ways to do things. So I guess, yeah, it was a gradual sort of little moments of my life that have sort of changed things as I've gone along. But yeah, without realising those moments had happened in some ways, it's just sort of, yeah, organically, if you like, kind yeah. of change, which is 
quite fun in some ways. Yeah, yeah no, definitely. Um, you've mentioned like the finances and looking at them. Like, what sort of age were you when you actually started to look at the finances? Because I think in so many traditional farms, isn't the finances are kept with the older generation? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so when did you basically think, get your hands or eyes on those? Yeah, I think mum and dad were always quite open. And I think, yeah, once, you've, once you're in partnership, you've got a legal duty to sign it and say you're happy with them. So um, yeah. you had the opportunity to look at it if you wanted to. Um, we had a snapshot at college, I guess, of business finance and yeah, cash flows and things like that. So I had a very, very brief... Hmm. Um, understanding of what it should look like I suppose and yeah I, I guess that I would have looked at our partnership agreements and the tax agreement each year and sort of looked at it signed it and thought it doesn't look that great but it's okay you know we're making money as sorts and um yeah you sign, sign it away and I guess over the years I've sort of looked into it a bit more and thought well you know that doesn't actually look that great and if you take out the subsidy that's definitely not that great um and then you do start thinking well you know without that subsidy what are we going to do a little bit because you know in, in, in there's a good few years I've signed those partnership agreements and our accounts to say actually take away that farm, farm um, um, basic payment mm. then there isn't anything left actually and you think oh that is quite a vulnerable place to be in actually so um, yeah I guess that was a bit of a moment where I thought you know yeah we, we do need to make a few changes then you look a bit more and work out where your costs are a little bit and take it from there, I guess. So when you started looking at those costs and, you know, oh gosh, if we didn't have the subsidy, we wouldn't be making anything. So did you then start to like look at um, benchmarking and looking at that sort of thing? Yeah, I did the AHDB benchmarking from 2017, I think. I've done it for two or three years then. Um, so the, the, that highlighted really um, our late lamb and sheep were sort of getting a bit more forage based at that point the highlanders were in the system a little bit more so I was trying to finish them on grass um, so you could see how much that creek feed was costing the system actually in places so you know the late lambing looked better on paper um, you know the, the suckler cows especially the autumn herd weren't making any money whatsoever mm. um, the arable wasn't making any money but a lot of that was put back to the, the kind of the sheep and the cattle so you can sort of play with the figures as much as you like to make them look how you want to but it, it, it definitely highlighted a few areas where I could work on I guess um, and I get yeah in that at that time I was knowing I wanted to go into a forage based system so I was probably equally a little bit biased to it and but knowing that was the system I was going to and it just highlighted that I was sort of on the right channel and where to focus my um, intentions a little bit so um, yeah I think that's, that's where I started with the farm bench and um, yeah, it definitely helps you along the way. Yeah, so like a really important tool to yeah, be using and just yeah. to... Yeah, understanding your figures, I think, is something we haven't been very good at, I guess, as a sort of farming community, if you like. Mm. Um, but, you know, you look at any decent businesses out there, it is probably the place that they focus most on, actually. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, yeah, most of them haven't got that subsidy to fall back on. So um, they've got to be, you know, up yeah. there and making the money. So, yeah, it soon, soon goes belly up. yeah. So just like with that subsidy then, are you feeling that you're in a place, because obviously we're seeing it, the reduction in it um, and not sure what's really coming next, are you feeling posit- that you're in a positive place? Uh, 100%, yeah. I think it was a target, I suppose, of mine to be in a situation that if I lost the farm yeah, support tomorrow, I could carry on and, yeah, wholeheartedly I'd say, you know, I've got a system now that I think could survive quite happily without it um it's, it's very very ballsy to say that i think 100 percent because you know so much are out of our hands really when it comes to farm price of you know cattle beef is all mm. a bit vulnerable i guess but our costs are so low risk now you know if, 
if I'm in a position where I'm struggling, then yeah, we're we're in a bit of a pickle for an industry. Yeah, oh, well, that's like just fantastic to hear. Yeah, that you are in that position. Yeah, no, and the change. It's great, great feel good factor, really. I think you know, it's something we've been working towards, and to actually, you know, get to that step where you do feel like you're in that position gives you. Yeah, a, a great, great enthusiasm for it. Yeah, and puts the excitement back into it, and sort of knowing, you know, the finances are there to do something you love, and, and a system that you've sort of been creating for the last, you know, ten years of my life. Really, it it does feel like you've sort of, you yeah, done what you set out to do. Really. And you just mentioned that excitement has come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think yeah, when you're slogging it day in day out, you know, you're lugging feed around and you're chasing in mud and things like that, and. There's definitely days you think, why the hell am I doing this? But um, and there's definitely those days now. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, I think you're doing it with yeah purpose. You've got a plan. You sort of know where you're going, and you're not sort of just going around in circles. And it's not that just vicious cycle of you know endless work and you know lambing's looming again because you're lambing three months of the year and carving's coming around again and things like that. So there's time to sort of reflect back a little bit. There is sort of time to enjoy life a little bit more. Um, yeah, it, it feels like the, the work-life balance is is sort of. On, on that kilter where you're quite happy really yeah so yeah it feels feels nice to be in that situation you know especially start, starting a young family and everything else it's just nice to actually have time to you know yeah enjoy it and sort of yeah, yeah get to get to know the little ones really yeah I mean oh, that's so important and it's so nice like just sort of watching you talk about it you know you're just lit up and you can see the energy you know from you and that excitement and I mean that's just so yeah. nice just to visually see um yeah, I think I did. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm biased on this, like yeah, just to guess, see that. I guess I'm lit up about it because I probably didn't have that as a child either, a little bit. Mm. So you know, you know, um, we were a great family business tight knit, and you know, yeah, our weekends were help, you know, sort on the farm. You know, our lambing was based around Christmas holidays, Easter holidays, and things <laughs> yes. like that. So that was that was the journey. You know, it wasn't all about the work, really. And you yeah. know, it was, um, yeah, great. It was a great businessman. Yeah, appreciate what my dad done there. Really. Yeah, maybe, free maybe labor. my little ones might go back to that if they're not careful. But um, yeah, it's great. Great free family labor is. Um, yeah, it's great to be part of that system, isn't it? But, yeah, and I think a lot of us from you know farming families, you know, we're we're built on that and that yeah, helping and yeah. going out. But then actually, should uh, you know, dad and should we all be out till eight o'clock doing X, Y, Z? Mm. And actually, we could have finished at five. In the summer, gone down for you certainly near the beach. Why not? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Isn't it? It's like to enjoy the time more. Definitely, yeah, 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 yeah. Work hard, play hard is a better situation than work hard, work hard. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. yeah. That's what we had as a child, and I don't know. I wouldn't say I resent it. I sort no. of appreciate the hard work, really, and I appreciate yeah, what definitely. Our, my parents done for me. But at the same time, yeah, we didn't have a lot of family time off the farm, and you know, it, it does get quite stressful when you're just chasing it like that, isn't it? And, um, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I think you, you need to work hard and sort of, you know, get, get what you need done. But yeah, work hard for an outcome of, you know, enjoying the weekend it. and enjoy some time off, isn't it? And sort of reflection is, um, yeah, very, very important. Yeah, no, I, I think it is, isn't it? And um, yeah, reflecting on, yeah, what you're doing. And you can only do that when you're out of it as well, isn't it? By physically leaving yeah, yeah, the business, yeah. the farm and going somewhere just to yeah. say the brain can you, you stop. You hear it you should leave the farm, was it once a week? Yeah. County once a month and all that. And yeah. There's, there's no truer word really, I think, yeah, yeah. You soon get consumed by being on the farm too long and mm. in your own headspace, I think, and um, it is good to get out, get out. Yeah, and talking to different people yeah. and even if it is, say, on a farm walk and young farmers or, you know, to being in somewhere totally different and just having conversations with strangers, yeah, isn't no, it? normal people. Normal, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, yeah, a bit both, isn't it, I think. Yeah, there's nothing better than going down the pub or young farmers or, you know, discussion group and discussing 
what has gone well and what hasn't gone well and you know challenges coming up because most people have had those same challenges mm-hmm. and had those things that have gone wrong and it makes you feel better that you're not the only one and yeah. then to hear solutions as well so that's great and then yeah go and talk to people who sort of appreciate your lifestyle from an outside point of view is what actually quite nice as well because you know we do take it for granted how what a lifestyle we have and if we choose to you know live it yeah um, you know and there's, there's a lot of people that are very envious of that isn't it oh gosh definitely definitely yeah. you mentioned um about a plan so you know when we just mentioned about i can see the energy in your face and that excitement and you said oh you know you've got a plan mm-hmm. what is you know what is that plan what has where did that come from yeah, the planning side of the farm was probably one of my weaknesses, I guess. Yeah, I think we, we do just muddle through a little bit, don't you, year on, year out. Um, the plan basis came from probably introducing Precision Grazing and James to the business. Um, yeah, it was a sit-down, look at your figures, sort of measure-to-manage situation. So, yeah, then, then you can build a system on that. So I think the planning has worked well because we sort of have sat down and got some figures to benchmark against it. We sort of see what could work best on the farm and we know where we want to be in a month mm. in six months in a year's time so we know where you know covers need to be you know what stock will work well you know and the figures we want to get to so um yeah that, that put the basis to you know the, the guts of the business was off the back of that really so um, once you build on that and you sort of got those bits and places you're sort of prepared for a lot more so that pre- preparation of any kind of situation is what really gets you through the tough times that kind of yeah times. so planning um for this year Obviously, we've had the dry summer. How did that plan that you'd put together with precision grazing, how has that seen you through this dry period? Because when did it sort of stop raining in uh, Devon? Uh, it stopped raining, which was quite nice, pretty much the day I started lambing. So oh. yeah, the lambs, basically all the lambs up till September were sold without much more than two or three mil on their backs all the time, which is, they probably appreciated that greatly, but they didn't appreciate what was underneath their feet half the time. Yeah. So, um, you know, yeah, yeah, it worked in two ways, but yeah, it was quite noticeable. There was, yeah, very little rainfall from sort of early March till, yeah, September, which mm. was, yeah, a great challenge for a lot of people. Um, it was definitely a lot drier than you'd ever planned for. Um, but we did have that plan in place, really. We, we always have sort of set out to be, you know, summer dry ready in some way. So a lot of what we've done on the farm is making sure we've got the diversity in, in the pastures that are drought tolerant, that could take cope with it. Also, the grazing management's in place, so you know if it does get a bit dry, you know we're, we're measuring at least monthly, so we can see quite quickly. In some ways, we've got that understanding then to sort of yeah ability to pick up on when things are getting a bit slower against mm. the animal demand, um, and you know when things are getting a bit tighter, we're measuring more often just to sort of keep a track on it. Um, so you know if grass was growing under the demand under the demand level, we could you know slow up rotations, you know get cattle onto silage a bit quicker maybe wean a lot earlier um, oh, right. put those plans in place you know and oh, you know every plan is only as good as the forecast that comes at you a little bit so um, you could only do it you know you sort of take a realistic option of what is ahead of you um, and our realistic option in the summer is that we'll probably won't get a great deal of rainfall mm. more than we did get but that we sort of have sort of etched that way a little bit so uh, we hedge our bets on that a little bit so you know we, we got to a stage where your yeah, grass was growing very slowly. We had grub ahead of us, and you think, right now I've got to make a decision, do I keep the ewes on with the lambs? You know, the, the ewes at that point, you know, we were at eight weeks, you know, the, the, the ewes are eating probably more than lambs are needing them to eat to produce the milk because they're eating more grass yeah. themselves. So um, we had the decision to make, do we wean early, 
get you shut up a bit tighter and leave the good forage for the lambs and yep so we took those kind of decisions pretty early um, you know you can sell your ewes into market before everyone else is a little bit more so you catch mm. the end of that early market um, cattle can be shut up onto silage because they seem to suit it better than the sheep and yeah the system is then created around you know put the lambs on the good feed to get them gone quicker so you're reducing your demand quicker um, so all the all those little bits that come into place to make the system sort of work well enough and you know at least at that point you could there was always light at the end of the tunnel because you knew where you're heading yeah um, and that that was an important part really you know you, you don't feel like you're losing resilience because you know you know where the end game is you know you know you know you've got the stuff the stock in place you know and lambs are finishing so we are reducing our demand cattle are where they need to be all right they're eating some of your winter feed but that is reality and that's going to happen at times so, yeah um, yeah we were prepared for it oh excellent and um so how like were you prepared so like you know with the forecasting of forage mm -hmm. your what system are you using to do that mm -hmm. and are you grass measuring and so we're plate metering once a month um that information goes on to the farm max um, software so farm software um, budgets your whole farm over a sort of forecasted year so you've got all your animal demands in it um, all your systems you've got all your inputs in it all your feeds and it gives you your grass curve for the whole year predicted on what you're growing at this time what your animals are eating so it soon tells you in six weeks or so if, if situations and conditions are the same where that curve could look so you can forecast a little bit ahead um, to sort of see where you're heading um, mm. where you need to be to get through to the next year almost so um, you knew when there was too much stock on the farm or you know we needed extra grub to be put in place to make that curve sort of feasible yeah um, and on to more of a day-to-day -day point we um, we do use agri-net to calculate farm demands to um, set up grazing wedges for different stock classes um, which works fine you've got um, larger mobs and not too many of them but it gets quite complicated when you've got too many but it's again it's another tool when we use it um, as and when we need to a little bit so um, but yeah the plate metering if you you know once you start picking it up and doing it yeah once a month and then you know mm. fortnightly at times or whatever else you soon get an eye for it anyway so you sort of know where you're at a little bit but, yeah um, there's nothing better than you know making yourself giving you the discipline to actually drive each field and measure it yeah. at least once a month just to know where you're at and surprisingly what little jobs you pick up like I forgot about that or you know I've got to do that so just driving the farm and getting a good feel for it well, at least once a month has always been a good bonus and if you're measuring grass it gives you that discipline to actually go out and do that so, yeah. yeah i just wonder like before you were grass or plate metering mm -hmm. it uh, was like how often would you actually go and look at your farm do you think yeah well especially from a field by field basis probably not until you thought i'll graze that one and sometimes you turn up to a field thinking you're going to graze it there'll be lush green grass there and you get a thing oh, where's all that gone really so um, <laughs> yeah no there was definitely situations like that you haven't been in a field for a while or you know there's that field forgotten out the side there that um you don't turn to because it's a bit of a pain to get to or whatever else and you sort of think oh we'll just deal with it when we get there kind of yeah. thing and so yeah sometimes you know fence is broken or something like that and you just then have to deal with the situation that you come to a little bit so mm. it was definitely more of a wing it and see situation yeah. then yeah. but yeah interestingly quite often you know how many fields do you actually look at each month yeah. from, from a situation like that probably not as many as you'd like to admit yeah. Do you feel a bit more connected to the farm? Oh, 100%. Yeah, I think it all come at the same time. Um, young son was born, um, didn't sleep very well at night, so he came out with me in the mornings quite often. Oh. So actually at that point, I was walking each field really with him on your chest. And you kind of get a different feel for um, what life might be like or what my life might be like for him. So you sort of do get a bit more of a connection to everything, a little bit more. And yeah, that was all in the same time. I was measuring grass a bit more and it, it all came together all at the same time almost for me. And um yeah, yeah, you definitely, definitely get a better feel for the farm and what 
what seems to be the right route forward for you? I think that's kind of really special like just what you just said you were carrying your newborn son on your chest and it's what is it for him because what you're doing this kind of yes it's great from a business point of view and you're you know making money but also it's about future proofing it for if your son or you know there's a new baby on the way for them to potentially take the farm but also you know so much more isn't it protecting the soil yeah, yeah you've just had an ecologist knock on the door because you're doing a survey about birds and you know planting what was it bumble birds <laughs> seed yeah, mix yeah, and yeah. you know so just that I don't know just for me it's just like having that as a visual I just think is really special yeah, and that's what it should be about isn't it's, it there's all these things that have just yeah come at you at once I suppose but um yeah I think yeah starting a new family and things you, your yeah your perception on things change quite a lot I think mm. um and before he was born, it was it became apparent to me that I wanted to be in control a little bit more, and I I knew I didn't want to have to be fully focused on the farm, and family was going to be an important part for me. So um, mm. precision grazing, I, I you know I, I did go that extra mile with them at that point because I knew I would probably have my mind off the farm a bit more, and I wanted someone to make sure I was on track. So mm. I had someone to answer to that someone could make sure I was you know heading in the right direction. Still, I wasn't just stopped still because my focus was off the farm a little bit more. So. Um, and yeah I probably didn't appreciate how much of a change that would make at me at that point but it was just something I wanted to put in place to make sure I wasn't you know just mm-hmm. yeah lose lose you know falling back off off the wagon a little bit because um, I was sidetracked a little yeah. bit so, which is easily done and it's not a bad thing isn't it but um, you know I, I feel quite yeah quite good about the, the, the decision I made at that point to actually bring someone else onto farm to um, yeah you know give me a different perception at one but the, the, the main thing was really to keep me on track at that point and, yeah and it's just evolved from there yeah because that's been like a four-year journey is it that they yeah, I guess so. yeah yeah we probably joined the uh, discussion group 2019 i think so yeah not that long ago really um yeah probably had a whole year of that uh, which took us around farms it, you know it, it gave you a bit of an insight on to yeah grazing management to a whole new level than i was you know on board with i suppose um yeah, so, yeah, being part of the discussion group for the year probably threw up a lot more questions than I realised I needed or had in my mind. <laughs> um, and at that point, yeah, James had a lot of the answers for me and for the farm. Um, you know, we, we had the sort of the kind of forage-based stock in place. That was our first point of call. We were playing with rotation and grazing. We had the fencing kit in place a bit. Um, but, yeah, I, I was sort of muddling around it quite a lot, had the interest in it, but probably didn't have that planning and sort of the um, good infrastructure in place to make it a success. So, um, yeah, that all married up quite well at the right time. Yeah. So had you already been um, with the Herbal Lays at that time? No. So, that, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, something that James suggested along the way. It was very new to me. Yeah, it was a bunch of weeds for me at that point. So um, I didn't know too much about them really, hadn't really yeah discovered them as such um so yeah i think the, f- the first meeting we sat down and we looked at uh, you know the risks of the farm and you know i was always quite well aware of you know we've had a lot of issues in the in the past in the dry years and how we got through it and not that successfully at times um so yeah that was that was one of the biggest you know focal points of it um i was trying to finish land at that point on summer brassicas okay um had some success and some great failures on it yeah they're, they're not easy to establish um, especially reliable feed so um, you know once it was gone it was gone and I think at that point James said you know what about putting in the herbal lay um, you know we, we were still doing a fair bit of arable at the time but I decided to take one of the fields out as a trial that year it was eight hectares it was a decent sized field and we put in a straight mix of 
chicory plantains and clovers just as a pure trial really so mm. you know, let's, let's have a go at it let's wean some lambs put it on it measure them and see where they go so that was 2019 i think we've done that end of heading into 2020 was it um yeah so we, we gave it a go we weaned some lambs we put 300 lambs on it weighed them they were 26 kilos they went on it uh, we weighed them a month later and they were 36 kilos and you think well i've just gained 10 kilos off, off these lambs average you know i'm starting to sell a few of these off this field and it was almost the closest thing to our farm was a magic bullet on the farm. Right? Oh, wow. It just suited it so well. Um, you know, we're producing it, it all right. The seed cost a bit at the time, and it was a completely different concept of grazing grass as such. But at the time, I, I love a trial anyway. And it was fun. <laughs> yeah. and, and the good thing is, a trial like that is only as good as what kind of data you put into a trial as well, really. So yeah. the fact we, I had to measure it and sort of report back to someone to say, you know, how they'd done and everything sort of made the trial work. And you could have the data to say, yeah, this is brilliant. You know, to have, to have that quality feed on farm that was resilient in the summer that didn't need any fertilizer was uh, was yeah was a great great moment actually and um, yeah the stewardship and the GS4s and the, the amount I've put in since has um, reflected from that base really. So just explain to me GS4. GS4 is the stewardship herbal lay really so it's okay. going to be a diverse mix of five grasses, five herbs, and sort of five legumes or at least 10% red clover and other legumes in the mix so um, it's a great a diverse mix um, the payment for it pays for the seed heavily and you know subsidizing for the next five years yeah at the same time you'll get an incredibly good quality feed and a lot of it without you know needing too much input so um, it was a great win for the farm it suits it very well it's very yeah. drought tolerant um, there's mixes out there for all farms I believe but um, you know it definitely suits suits our soil type suits our farm um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's been a big game changer, I think, to have that on the grazing platform. Yeah, well, just we went up there earlier, didn't we? And if, I mean, considering you've had the dry summer, it literally, it was kind of nearly up to my knees. Team, I think. It's teeming with love. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really jumping, really. Which, it's been a great mild time. You know, it's not the best winter hardened crop, but um, yeah, it kept going through that dry period. It mm. still finished a lot, a lot of lambs over this summer, which, you know, most people stalled heavily. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and, and I saved it for them to, to, to a degree so when we kept them going and I kept you know able to sell them the cattle went on it quite early in the season and they came off at shining as well so it just gained all those cheap kilos when I had plenty of feed on the farm it, you know it got me in a very good position and it, it saved me through that dry period so um, mm. yeah it, in, in the last two or three years it's definitely been a crop that's converted me to you know that diversity within the grazing platform has been um, yeah quite important going forward yeah no and it looks really great up there and so your soils here, you're a, is it a sandy sort of free draining? Yeah, very very light sandy shallow um, soil. So you, you soon get back down onto sort of subsoils and the red rock underneath. Um, so yeah, very free draining. Um, very very good from a you know wintering point of view, um, but very prone to sort of drying up quite quickly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, swings and roundabouts with it. But, um, and have you seen um, like are you seeing a change in those soils now? Yeah, I guess we've seen a change in the soil and my attention's been drawn to the soil more so you're sort of studying a bit more so we've only just started measuring sort of organic matters to know where we are now so it'd be nice to see what happens in five years to see where we'll build it I think you know everything we're doing seems to be ticking the boxes off you know protecting the soil building soil you know treading in a bit of the um, plants as well as grazing them and um, you know we're not we're not taking from the farm quite so much you know the arable 
isn't taking off to sort of feed the animals so much or anything. So we're not taking from individual fields as much as we were. And, you know, I've always thought, you know, you can't improve soil biology by using the chemistry that we've been using from the previous years. You know, a lot of it is too acidic and yeah. you know, harmful to that, you know, bio- biological life. So, um, yeah, by reducing all the inputs, we are, must be making a great impact. Um, you know, yeah, you, you, you dig up soil pits in those um, diverse lays and some of the fields that have been rested well compared to the ones that are, you know, heavily grazed and everything else like that. And there is, there is a massive difference, actually, yeah, which is, yeah, nice to see. But until you actually look at it and study it, you don't know where you were, you don't know where you're going with it. So, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think the whole system goes towards soil health and looking after our biggest asset on the farm, actually. And, um, yeah, I probably didn't realise that as much as I do now. Mm. Um, but... Yeah, no, everything's pointing in the right direction. Yeah, we've, we've just done a study. Um, our, one of our meat processors wanted a good case study. Um, they've done a bit of work on the farm anyway, and they wanted us, they wanted to do a whole carbon capture study of oh. our carbon footprint. Um, I kind of said, if you want to, you know, within, I think they wanted it within two weeks. I said, well, I'm, there's no way I'm going to capture all that information and do that so quick. And I'm probably not the biggest fan of some of those measuring tools, but oh. we've done a snapshot of our savings from 2018 to 2021. Um, reject, reduction of fertilizer, reduction of um, feeds and fuel, and I think there was something like 150 tons of carbon saved a year oh, from wow. that point, which is you know that's, that's, that's heavy numbers actually, um, yeah. and that just shows yeah what what those inputs are contributing towards the farm. So um, you know we're accountable for our actions a little bit more than we ever were, and um, it was quite interesting to see just those quite snapshot figures, you know. Yeah, I'm sure if I did my carbon footprint in 2018 to now, it would, yeah, as a whole, it would look great. Um, but just taking those big figures out of it is um, quite, quite, quite impressive, I thought, really, which is, um, you know, and it, and it came at a time when inputs went through the roof. So, you know, 2018 to now, you know, we, we just beat the curve a little bit. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, which is, yeah, a, gr- a great feeling to know that we weren't relying on it when those big feed prices come and the fertiliser was what it was because... You could make that choice before it was, you know, we used 50 tonne a year and that was it. We needed 50 tonnes, so we used it kind of thing. Yeah. Now it was like, how much do we need? Do we need to use any when it's at a price like that? Um, and the feed exactly the same. So, um, yeah, it was it was good to have more control out of, you know, the farm we had and the system we had. So to say, actually, no, thank you, I'm not going to buy it this year. Yeah, and, that know, must have been nice. Yeah, absolutely great. Yeah, to actually... Yeah, I think if I wasn't at that point, at that point, I'd soon get there, I think, knowing what the prices were. But it was it was nice to think we were ready for it, if you know what I mean. So, um, yeah, no, that was a that was a great, great point at the time. I mean, so, um, yeah, our costs were controlled to a situation I could manage it and was happy with. So, yeah. Yeah, I think we've, yeah, looking forward, we've always been looking, I think there's been a lot of talk about finding that optimal sustainable output, um, which is right for, you know, the planet, for the profit, for the people on it and for the animals. And, um you know, yeah, I think there's that's a forever moving goalpost a little bit with input prices and yeah, the output of our beef and lamb and what is on the farm. But yeah, it it all comes back to not having a heavy reliance on those yeah quite heavy inputs. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, it must just be such a nice place to be in. Um, yeah, just not yeah. having that, that stress of that because I mean pretty stressful or isn't it there's all the unknowns at the moment right now it's a big 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 problem i think really yeah for you know if you're still using a lot of the fertilizers and feeds and you're in a vulnerable position really and, yeah you know it doesn't take too much for milk price beef or lamb price to drop too much you know that's single farm payment dropping every year for you to be in a, yeah we would definitely if i look back 2000 say 17 18 from the system we had and we were still using that system now we'd be definitely in yeah uh, 
in a in a in a yeah a very worried situation I think and like I said very stressful really yeah you yeah. working quite hard and you would not have time to find the way out of it if you know and it would have been a big big system change to sort of think drastically what can I change mm. it would have yeah it would have yeah I think your your mind would have almost been so overwhelmed by it all I'm not sure where you were headed first really. yeah yeah no I think that and um, that's where this sort of system and also then having that help isn't it so precision grazing to come in and help and um you know from other farmers I've spoken to it's about looking at the farm differently so did yeah. they bring that yeah, they did definitely, well? yeah yeah I think you know I was on the right frame I think I was I had the sort of mind ch- change to a degree probably nowhere near where it's gone to now so um yeah yeah that that I, one one is a little bit of a push in the right direction as well as sort of yeah giving you the data and the, you know the, the good case studies the examples of what has worked well on these kind of systems so um yeah it's, it's brought a great deal and I think I've always said it's probably sped up my you know my change my progression by 10 years at least really probably and okay. a lot of, a lot of it is you know just mindset and yeah having the experience and having the education to do it really so it's, mm. it's all sort of you know all those personal you know buildings and things like that yeah so, brought me to where I am now but yeah and just having that mentor you know someone that you are accountable for someone that can keep you on track someone that does encourage you to you know you think you know you are doing a good job of it and yeah. sort of head in the right direction it's, it is nice to have those conversations really and you know and when it's not going so well to have a few of the answers you know and a few problem solving points so you know from progression now we sort of had the change we've got the plan in place we sort of have a system we're happy with and now it's just problem solving at those certain times when you know weather's bad or mm. you know there's a bit of a price debt and loss or whatever else and you look at it and think well what could I change or where is yeah where is the focus points going forward so um, yeah it's, it's, it's that continual progress really. Yeah so like going forward then what are those like when we were out you said you were gonna maybe look at some permanent divisions in the yeah, fields yeah, or? Yeah. I think yeah I think I've got a situation where I think yeah the, the system I've got is yeah, reasonable, it's a good sustainable one now. It's like looking at making things easier for you a little bit. So infrastructure, we've got quite big fields. So I think our average field size is sort of 15 to 20 acres, you know, six to eight hectares. So um, it's quite a big grazing field all in one heap. So we've got quite a lot of temporary fencing out there. Um, we've, we've got a good temporary fencing system within the Kiwi Tech system we've got, but um, you know, having a few more of the sort of semi-permanent subdivisions of fields will conduct the electricity a lot better and save you a lot of time so mm-hmm. when you go to a field and you're starting to rotate it and you need to put it into you know six or eight paddocks to have a you know a good straight line and um, to work off yeah. the middle of the field will save you a lot of time and yeah it'll, it'll encourage you to do it if it's easy if you know what I mean so um, that's that's the next step really without spending masses of money you can have you know, make your life a lot more easier yeah because that's what it is it's about keeping a simple system isn't it and um like we were just talking earlier and i sort of saying how i meet farmers like oh they've got time to do the electric fence um and the plate metering and things but then you would then say about all the time it's actually saved you and the knock-ons so the yeah. time saving results in money saving yeah it'd be hard to explain it just sitting there and you know saying yeah you you know, get your plate meter out, start studying your grass, put some fences up and it'll save you a lot of time. It doesn't, yeah, straight off it sounds like you're adding work, not getting rid of it. But yeah, to, to evolve it and get past those hurdles and then all of a sudden the whole system fits into place really. And, you know, as soon as you start, stop wading around in mud and feeding that <laughs> feed, you know, how much time do you spend doing that, isn't it? And, yeah. You know, all right, yeah, you, you don't have to move stock so quite so often if they're just in one field. But then if you're receding earlier because you've 
overgraze some of the clovers and things so they're not there anymore and you know then you've got to feed on top of it and add fertilizer to that field it's all time really so mm, it's just yeah. yeah it's a whole thing you know check it one tiny little paddock if you farm rather than the whole field and things it's, it's actually great time saving so yeah it all evolves you know well i always said from an animal health point of view yeah. you don't really study it too much but actually you know rotating your animals more often they're not sat under the same shady tree where they're picking up the you know the feet problems and you know they are far healthier for it so antibiotic use from the farms dropped heavily really just from those simple little movements really of keeping stock moving not feeding them around the troughs you know less time indoors mm-hmm. and they're not building up these problems and um yes yeah, so all those tiny little things actually make far greater savings actually so um, yeah yeah it's just it's just getting to that point isn't it and sort of yeah trying trying it all out and before you sort of realize it yeah um, i guess in, in some in some ways it looks like big steps to some people and what would you say to someone that was, you know, looking across the fence, what you're doing, who were like on the, you know, were thinking of it? What would you sort of say to them? I, th- I think, yeah, you've always got to be curious. I think don't be afraid to try things. Don't be afraid for those things not to always work straight away. And don't go into those things like almost expecting them to fail. I think a lot of us do probably think, oh, this isn't going to work, try it. And it definitely isn't going to work because you've gone into it with that kind of thought and mind. So um, I think you've got to go into something and give it your all. Um, everything I've done, I suppose I've done it. And if I've been a bit unsure about it, I've researched the hell out of it and asked, asked those people that have done it well. I think it's, yeah, there's, there's some great examples out there across mm-hmm. the country and, and further afield of um, um, people with, yeah, with all these questions that you've got and the answers probably to some of your situations. So, you know, yeah. Using their knowledge is, you know, quite a good shortcut in some ways. So, you know, yeah. knowledge, knowledge transfer and all of those things is some, yeah, great, great, great thing to do. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so, yeah, how is the future looking on Higher Thornton Farm then? You, you yeah, mean? no, yeah, I'm quite, yeah, quite looking forward to it, I think is probably the best thing. Yeah, I think I'm confident for where the system could go. I'm, I'm not set on one system as such, really. I think we've got to a great place and I think, you know, it's taken a few good changes to get here, so it's it's made me appreciate that, you know, there might be times in, you know, the next five, ten years with all the changes in agriculture that I still could change the farm differently, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not one to sit still too long, I suppose, so, I'm, yeah, I'm always looking for the next thing or the next trial or something like that, so it's quite exciting to know, you know, where the farm could go, um, especially, you know, managing, you know, measuring the soil, knowing soil organic matter from a sandy farm that had quite a bit of arable on it isn't that high so for the potential to you know grow three four percent of my soil organic matter how much more potential that could unlock for the farm is quite exciting so all those little things i think mm. builds up to yeah quite a nice place to be in you know i've got you know fairly good financial security with it um you know it's quite a low risk farm really and yeah it's a time where you know i've got young children more on the way hopefully and yeah. you know it's a time to sort of enjoy that point in my life as well so um yeah, no, it's all looking, all looking rosy at the minute. Excellent. Well, I'm really pleased to hear that. And um, it's, yeah, been a real pleasure to have seen the work that you're doing and to have met you. So thank you so much. And um, yeah, good luck with, with that all of the future. Thank you. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. It's also great to meet farmers making positive changes to their farm. If you want to start making these changes, then contact Precision Grazing at www.precisiongrazing.com to book your free consultation. This really will be one phone call that you won't regret.